You know, uh, I love teaching. I love uh, speaking from the Word. Uh, Sundays like this, I could just sit there and enjoy the songs and the, the text and, and call it good. We're going we're gonna to put this resurrection message in a little context. But as we do, uh, ask yourself this question as we, we uh, consider this a little further with the songs and the text we've already heard. Uh, is the benefit of Christ's resurrection, is that mine? Is the benefit of Christ's resurrection mine? And that could take shape in a couple different ways. That, that could mean the benefit of my sins covered and forgiven, and now I'm in Christ. That's a good thing. It could also mean that I've come to Christ at some point in my life, but maybe the benefit of my union with Christ is not something I'm experiencing now. So as we talk through this just a little bit this morning, I simply want us to ask ourselves the question, am I living in the benefit of what Christ died and rose to give me? To each one of us, what Christ died and rose to give me, us, individually. You know, before any of the events that we've read about this morning or contemplated in the lyrics of those songs occurred, Jesus had been living teaching, preaching, performing miracles in Israel for over three years. Miracles like changing water into wine, all the way up to raising people from the dead. And you remember, Jesus is coming to a people that is expecting his arrival, right? They don't know what he's going to look like. They don't know when the time's going to come. But if you remember in part of his ministry years, John the Baptist is in prison, and he's got second thoughts about the one he baptized in the Jordan. Are you really the one? And so Jesus says to John's messengers, go back and tell John what you see. And he quotes Isaiah 35. The blind are seeing the lame walk, the deaf hear. The poor have good news preached to them. This was the evidence that Jesus was the Messiah Israel was waiting for. And despite all those attesting miracles, the people that had been waiting for Jesus to come rejected him. And it wasn't just the Jews. You know, depending on the time in history you consider or the people group, the world has at times blamed the Jews for the death of Christ. And that's simply too narrow a focus. The death of Christ is incumbent. It's guilt on all of us. And so we were also there. Most of us are what we would call Gentiles. We are non-Jewish in our ethnic origins, probably. But Gentiles were there too, and so represented by the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, Jesus was unjustly condemned to death. This was not justice. And then it was Roman soldiers, again Gentiles like most of us, who carried out that execution by way of crucifixion and nailed Jesus to the cross. His death on that cross, we won't get into a lot of the theology this morning, but that death is what we call a substitutionary atonement. Jesus was there instead of us. God made very clear in the Old Testament and the New that sin must be punished. And Jesus' death on that cross was no accident. He wasn't the victim of anybody's schemes. Acts makes this very clear. This was all the predetermined will of God being carried out by the hands of guilty men. But this was exactly what God was up to. Jesus was there as our substitute, paying the penalty for the sins that we have committed. And he died a real death. 
You know, sometimes too you'll read books and they say Jesus didn't really die. The Romans were good at some things and death was one of them. And that's why John's Gospel records Jesus appears dead sooner than they thought he would be. So the Roman soldier pierces Jesus' side with that spear and John records water and blood flowed out. That is, it had already separated. The serum from the blood, the platelets had separated. There's absolutely no question Jesus is really really dead. And his friends and relatives, they take him down. You remember the day's almost over. And so the Sabbath day is going to begin. And so they get his body down. They hurriedly wrap him and they put him in a cave, a tomb. It's newly hewn. It's never been used and it's close. Wrap him up, get him in there, seal the grave. So that's the end of Friday. And his body lays there all day Saturday. And then sometime Sunday morning, Jesus rises from the dead. That same body that died on the cross is the body that rises from the dead. This isn't some myth. It's not a a spiritual rise. It's not a different body. It's the same body that died, rises. And that's the context of all those songs and all the scriptures that we've listened to so far. The people that you read or you hear today that reject the resurrection of Jesus will typically not do so based on the evidence because the resurrection of Jesus from the grave is one of the best attested events in ancient history. Primarily, we reject the concept of who Jesus was, what he did, or the resurrection because we do not like the implications. But it's not a question of the facts. Those are the facts. So, This thing with the resurrection, you know, if we remember Jesus in his death uh, when we're in some gospel text, or we have the Lord's Supper sometimes, right? Or, Or Resurrection Sunday, and so we're specifically thinking about the resurrection. But the truth is, guys, all of your future hopes and mine for anything good, they they rise and they fall on Jesus' resurrection from the dead, singularly. It is absolutely impossible to overstate the importance of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. If we spoke of these things every day, if we remembered the Lord weekly in communion, and if we celebrated the resurrection once a year for eternity, we would not overstate its importance. We would not exhaust the degree or the measure to which Jesus' death and resurrection defines us, circumscribes our life, provides for the fruit of all God's eternal plans and promises for your future life, joy, peace, and glory. The resurrection is the deal. It presumes the incarnation. It presumes Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross. But if Jesus came and if Jesus died, and that's where the story ends, we have absolutely no hope for the future. It has to come down to the resurrection Eternity past and all of earth history lived in anticipation of the resurrection. And eternity future will look back on Jesus' resurrection as its point of birth. The genesis of the new heavens and new earth isn't future, it's past. It's at Jesus' resurrection. The new heaven and new earth and our presence there is all predicated on Jesus' physical bodily resurrection from the grave 2,000 years ago. Your future and mine in heaven forever starts at this point at the resurrection. 
So think through this. Think of, am I enjoying the benefits, the fruits of Jesus' death and resurrection? I just want to go through. This is my short list, and you might have your own. But just ask yourself, am I gaining the benefit of what Jesus died for? And am I gaining, am I living in the benefit of Jesus' resurrection? Christ risen, Christ dead, Christ risen. Am I living in the benefit of those things? Because Jesus died, our old sinful lives, inherited generation after generation from our first father Adam, have been judged and found wanting. Friends, there's not one good person in this group this morning. And I don't say that to be offensive. But because in God's eyes, the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross, Jesus is our representative. And in His death, God is is saying, none of you are good, None of you are righteous. No, not one. And what you deserve is death, is my judgment. God has condemned humankind in Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. But because Jesus lives, we can have a new life, free from sin, perfect, fit for eternity, because through faith, we can have a new birth in a new second Adam, the progenitor of a new human race, the race that will occupy heaven forever, condemned in Jesus' crucifixion, but made alive in his resurrection. Because Jesus died our own personal sins, and not one or two, not the worst, not the baddest of the bad, but all of them are covered and put away forever. Bill and I were talking about some of the lyrics in Christ is Risen just before the service. We do not need to hang our head in shame, friends, when we sin, because our our sins past, present, and future are covered by Christ's atoning sacrifice. They've all been judged, not a few, all of them. Because Jesus lives, we can be clothed in the perfection of Christ's own righteousness. Friends, when we strive to be good people, we've missed the mark again. God doesn't, he doesn't make us good. He makes us perfect. And it's not the old made better. It's a brand new life after Christ. We have Christ's very righteousness. None of us squeaks into heaven. The the gates of heaven are open to us wide. And heaven receives us with the same warmth and hospitality that it received Jesus after his resurrection. Because we stand in Christ, we have his righteousness because he lives. Because Jesus died, our consciences can truly be cleansed because Jesus' blood and death are an adequate means of atonement Many of us in this room and many people we know, we go through life and we do one thing and another. We abuse one substance or one person after another because we're seeking some means to cleanse our conscience because we know that we're not who and what we should be. And our consciences, unless we've simply dulled them to the point that they don't work, our consciences are meant to accuse us. That's their function, to lead us back to God in repentance. But without Christ's substitutionary death on the cross, friends, you have no adequate means of a clear and a clean conscience. None of us do. Because we know no matter how much good we do afterwards that nothing takes care of that sin. Nothing can cleanse our conscience except the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Beyond that, because Jesus lives, when we sin and Christians sin, and, and every Christian knows this, if we're honest with ourselves and with, with each other, for sure, we still sin. But because Christ lives, we have an advocate with the Father 
who ably defends us against every charge the enemy might justly level against us. Lord, did you see what Mike did back there, down there? You got to take him to, ca- to task. But Jesus says, Father, I have died for those sins. Because Jesus lives, we have an, a defense attorney in heaven. Because Jesus died on the cross, our hearts of stone are understood to be cracked and broken. Because Jesus lives, we enjoy new hearts. The Scripture says they're hearts of flesh, sensitive to God and to His leading. Do you remember under the old covenant, the conditional covenant with Israel, God said, if you will obey and do these things, you will live and be blessed. And that covenant was written on stone tablets. And they were broken immediately. But Jesus says, and Jeremiah says, the new covenant is not based on those old tablets or those old stony hearts. The New Testament, the new covenant is based on a new bloody sacrifice, Jesus' own. And now it's written on hearts of flesh. Because Jesus lives, we have God's heart, Jesus' covenant inside. Because Jesus died, we are free from the power of sin. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like this, but friends, Paul says in Romans, if you have died, you are free from sin. Sin's power no longer executes its role over us unless we say, your will to sin be done. Sin has no power on us to compel us to sin. We have died with Christ. Jesus' death wasn't merely substitutionary. Paul says in Romans very clearly, not only did Jesus die, but we died with Him. We died in Him. Not only did we get a sinful disposition from our first head, Adam, because we come from Him, but we come from Jesus now through the eyes of faith, the second Adam. Because of that, we have new hearts. We are free now because we were with Jesus in His death from sin's power. And because Jesus lives we will be free from the presence of sin. If you're like me, there are times in which I can entertain a little sin and sort of quasi get away with it. You know what I mean? I know it's wrong, but I can sort of put up with a little bit of it and hope the Lord does too. But in my more honest moments, when I see sin as God sees it, I can't stand it. And I feel the weight of it and I wish I were other than I am. And the glorious thing about Jesus' life, His resurrection, is that my future, your future in Christ, is one in which sin is not part of who we are any longer. We won't have to second-guess our judgments and our decisions because sin will not even be an option. There won't be that sinful knowledge of ourselves inside any longer. As Christ is, we will be in that moment. That's because Jesus lives Because Christ died, we are no longer alone in our selfish isolation. You know, many of us feel, especially before coming to Christ, we feel lonely, and there's a reason for that. And even if physically we're with people or physically we're separated from people, ultimately the the kind of loneliness that matters at the end of the day is because we are cut off from real fellowship with the one we were made to fellowship with, with God himself. But friends, it's a selfish loneliness because it's predicated on our selfish, sinful selves. Jesus died because of that. Because Christ lives, we are now joined to God by His Spirit. If there's a moment where you feel lonely, alone, I acknowledge that God has given us friends and family. 
and the body of Christ, right, to encourage us. And we appreciate that. And I'm not downgrading that at all. But friends, like Jesus, we are never alone if the Spirit of Christ, through the eyes of faith in Christ, inhabits us. You're never alone. Never truly. Jesus says, I'm always with the Father. He's always with me. You've always got someone to talk to. You've always got someone to fellowship with. If no other human person is around you, we need never fear or feel that kind of loneliness again. Because Jesus died, our vain efforts for personal significance have been brought to an end. You know, just the way we're wired, we want to be good enough, handsome enough, lovely enough, successful enough, that we feel good about ourselves and other people know our value as well. And that's called a works kind of righteousness. And because Jesus died, we can have done with that. It never works ultimately anyway. But because Jesus lives, we now stand, Paul says, complete in Christ. We are members of his body. We are family members of the household of God. We have true and lasting significance. It's a gift to those in Christ. It's not something we work up and earn that significance. Because Christ died, we have already tasted death through his substitutionary role. You don't need to fear dying. If I died today, this would be a good day. I have nothing to fear. When, when I die, I'm going to see Christ face to face. A Christian has nothing to fear in the way of death. You know, I feel for the suffering of martyrs today in the Middle East, truly. I feel for them. I feel for their family members. But friends, the day of their martyrdom for them is a good day. There's nothing that a Christian has to fear by way of death because Christ died. Because Christ lives, our own resurrection and future joy through eternity are certain. Absolutely no question. Because Christ died, this world and everything in it, and everything in this world is tainted by sin and death, has been judged and condemned. Friends, the church's role is not to reform the culture or the world. In Jesus' death on the cross, this world has been condemned as guilty and deficient. God is not, he's not saving the world. He's saving people. This culture and everything in it, Christians today talk about we're taking the culture for Christ. We're not taking the culture and the world for Christ. God is using the church to call men and women out of darkness into light and ultimately into heaven. The world has been condemned in Jesus' death on the cross. Because Jesus lives, there is a new world coming. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. Righteousness is the norm there. Joy is constant and pleasures go on forever. You know, many of us maybe back in earlier days thought that by not being a Christian, by not being holy, we got more pleasure. The gospel says exactly the opposite is true. The God who designed us for pleasure is the God who knows how to give us pleasure. And in Psalm 16, he says he gives us pleasures that last forever. Because Jesus lives, friends, you will have a joy and a level of joy and pleasures in God's presence that you're designed for with a new perfect body and soul that we can't even anticipate here on earth. We're not missing out on pleasure 
by pursuing God's holiness because Jesus lives, we are putting ourselves in the position to enjoy the most pleasure possible with Christ in heaven forever. Christians don't lose anything but death. Because Jesus died, we know the things of this world can never adequately satisfy us and fill the void at the center of our existence. Like people pursuing a cleansed conscience, many of us try all kinds of things to fill up the void inside of us, and none of them work. We're made for Christ, and it's only Christ that can fill us up. Jesus' death reminds us nothing in this world will ultimately satisfy our souls. But because Christ lives, we are a temple of God, the Holy Spirit Himself taking up His residence in us. Think about this the next time you read a passage like uh, Kings, when the Holy Spirit of God comes down, down into Solomon's temple. Or in Exodus, when the Spirit of God comes down into the tabernacle in the wilderness. The Scriptures say that that same glorious Spirit of God comes down and inhabits every person who's exercised faith in Christ. And that we are, by God's doing, we are today the dwelling place of God the Spirit Himself residing in us as individuals and in the church. And last, on my short list, because Christ died, Satan's kingdom of darkness has been vanquished and merely awaits its doom. It looks like on a given day that Satan, the God of this world, is winning. Friends, he was condemned. He was rendered ultimately powerless in Jesus' death on the cross. And because Jesus lives, the kingdom of God's beloved Son has arrived. It's here because the King by His Spirit is present now and it will come in its fullness because Jesus lives. Those are just a few of the things. We could go on and on and on. But as we go through this list, are we enjoying the benefit of Christ's death and resurrection? Are these things true for us? Do we experience these today? Our hopes for real significance now and for abiding future joy will either be realized or dashed based on our relationship to Jesus. Whatever, whatever our hope for joy that passes this life are, whatever they look like, they will either be realized and elevated or they will be dashed based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. The best thing you and I can do to celebrate Jesus' resurrection is to live in the conscious benefit of that resurrection. Friends, for some of us here, that would mean that today perhaps, or maybe this week as we think about these things, for the first time we would honestly say before God, I'm not who I should be. I'm not what I should be. I've done things I know I shouldn't have done. I have refused to do things I knew I should do. That in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, there's this taint of deficiency. We call that sin. The motives are wrong. The outcomes are wrong. That is the best place in the world to be, by the way. Because if I come to know I'm not who or what God meant me to be, I'm down in this lowly place of humility, I can look up now with the eyes of faith and value Jesus as a Savior. If I don't think I need a Savior, Jesus is not very appealing if I know that I'm a sinner and that God is holy and righteous, if I realize that the judgment that fell on Christ on the cross is the judgment due me, then Christ has a value that I never knew before. 
And with the eyes of faith, I can embrace Christ. And from that moment on, I have a new birth and I am not the old me. I'm a new person with a new birth and a new destiny. That all happens simply through the eyes of faith in Jesus. His life for my life. His life is my life. We need to make sure too, the world often confuses the message of the gospel to be something like this. I'll choose to be religious or irreligious. I'll choose to call myself a Christian or call myself a Buddhist or a Muslim or whatever. It's labels or it's the quality of the life I experience or it's how narrow or broad my parameters are. None of those things are true. The issue is not religion. It's not all kinds of other things. The issue is this at the end of the day. And this is why I say we cannot mistake what the issue is. Jesus' death and resurrection. The issue is this. The question is this. Do I allow Jesus to bear my sins or do I choose to bear the penalty of my sins myself? That's the question. Jesus has willingly taken on the sins of the world. The question for me and for you is, do I accept Jesus' payment for my sins or do I say to God, no, thank you, I will bear the penalty myself? If Jesus is my sin bearer, my sin bearer, then my sins are already covered. They're atoned for. I have nothing to expect from God the Father except a welcome home. If I choose to bear my own sins, I am choosing to exist apart from God forever under his righteous judgment. This is the thing. God is holy and he's righteous. And he says sin must be punished. It has to be. It can't be otherwise. So for us, the only real question is, do I accept Jesus' payment for my sins or do I choose to pay for those myself forever, isolated and away from God's presence, his benevolence, his holy goodness forever? That's the only question. So as we think about this this morning, am I enjoying the benefit, the fruits of Jesus' death and resurrection simply by accepting his payment for my sins and entering the joy of life forever? That's the key question. The second question for many of us is this. You've had this experience in the past. There was a moment in time in which you looked to Christ and you believed. And you were born again and you're not the person you used to be at some point in your history, near or far. And that was great. And you're going to heaven and that's a good thing. But do we experience the benefit of Christ risen today simply in our daily experience? Do do we feel like our heart is hard or it's soft and sensitive? Sometimes we'll entertain sins and it dulls our senses. And you can't enjoy things you're made to enjoy in Christ because of that. Some of us get eaten up by anxieties and fears, by pride, by worry. Christians. And I tell you, on either side of this thing, whether it's coming to Christ for the first time or it's living in Christ, the issue is at some point in all of these, we don't see Christ We're not embracing the value of his resurrection as we ought and as we can. So the best thing we can do again, thinking of Jesus' death and the resurrection is benefit from it. Not when we die, that'll be good, but today. So Jesus died so we could have peace and joy right now. You don't have to wait for heaven to have peace and joy. Or the Spirit's presence, you don't have to wait for that. You can have God's company with you 24 
7. Are we experiencing the benefit of Christ's death? If we're not, it probably just means other things have come in. When we see Jesus, when we savor Jesus, when we revel in who he is and what he's done, when we embrace that again, guys, you get the benefit of that again and again and again. If we look at our lives and we say, I'm not getting the benefit I think Jesus meant to give us, we need to consider Jesus in his death and specifically again in his resurrection again. We need to embrace that again for ourselves today. Pray with me. Father, Jesus' death on the cross was your condemnation of both this world and everyone in it, a deficient and wanting. Lord, he took our place. Father, we so, so, so appreciate that. Thank you that Jesus, the Lamb of God, his blood shed for the sins of the world. Father, we want to avail ourselves of that atoning sacrifice and receive Christ with the eyes of faith today. Father, for others of us, we simply want to be able to see Christ as he is, for who he is. We want to savor the reality and the truth of the resurrection in a way that benefits us or that glorifies you when we say yes to who you are and what you've procured for us through Christ. Would you help us to taste anew, Lord, the joy of the Lord, the peace of Christ, the fruits of your spirit, because Jesus lives. Father, it is with reckless abandon that we entrust ourselves to your care today and forever, because Jesus lives. Amen.